Hey, Willow. Hey, Gene. I'm afraid I'm going to be talking over uh, cough drops today, but welcome to another episode of Bookstabber. How you doing? Welcome to Bookstabber. I am recording from inside of a cardboard box because my room is too echoey. <laughs> and I'm surrounded by cats that are, are very whiny today. So this is going to be very fun. Um, <clears throat> and what book are we talking about today, Willow? Today we are talking about Song of the Sorials by Kate Novak and Jeff Grubb. It is book three of the the Finder's Stone trilogy. Yes, in the Forgotten Realms world, uh, published by published by TSR back in the glory days of TSR Publishing, nineteen ninety one. Um, <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah, I believe was shortly before they went out of business. And why are we why are we reading this book, Willow? We are reading this book because uh, I journeyed to visit you in the beautiful emerald lands of Washington. And there you took me to many a fine bookstore. And yes. amongst the many stacks, I found a copy of Song of the Sorials, which I showed up to you and said, hey, look how dumb this cover is. Isn't this great? <laughs> and you found a second copy and we committed to reading it for the podcast. Uh, I will say that... I think I said this at the end of the last episode that um, the cover of this book is the, it's the only reason we're reading this. And also it, it was known to me before then I've known about this book for many years because of the cover is so ridiculous, uh, primarily for featuring a anthropomorphic triceratops man who is also a wizard wearing jaguar skin sleeves, holding aloft uh, a scepter, or a staff, a wizard staff. Uh, and that, you know, that is the most ridiculous thing on the cover, but also uh, the main figure, the bard that we come to know as uh, Finder, is holding a ridiculous sort of clarinet uh, with three <laughs> uh, sort of musket-like <laughs> endings. He's got a dagger that is like... Very uh, phallic. It's it's extremely phallic. It's really big. It's weirdly uh, upright. And yeah, it's just a ridiculous cover. At one point, the characters in the book are describing another character on the cover's magical chain shirt and how revealing it is. All right, let's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and behind him is Alias, the uh, kind of the main character of the trilogy, but, but only of the first and third books, apparently. She is a kind of an artificial woman made by Finder. Mm -hmm. in the image of some some weird sorceress who does not appear in this book um <clears throat> and she is like a fighter mercenary of some type but right. scantily clad scantily clad and I, I what i what i'm realizing about this cover looking at it is it's very pacific northwesty there are evergreen trees there are mountains in the background <laughs> this is the perfect book to have walked away from a, a trip to the northwest with Willow. so yeah so uh a lot to a lot to unpack here on this one yeah. I'm not even sure where yeah. to begin. I guess we got to start with the pitch, right? Oh, start with the pitch. Yeah, the pitch. Um, can I give the pitch? Yeah, please. Basically, the, the basic pitch is that um, Moander, the dark god who the friends, like the party defeated in book one, they destroyed his physical body in the realms, is is creating a new body and is about to make his return to the realms. Akbar Bel Akash, 
uh, his wife Zara, the priestess of Tamora, and whatever their party, they they come to whatever. What's the name of the city <laughs> where Alias is at? I'm so confused. Uh, they come to find Alias and Finder, who was at that point known as Nameless, the Nameless Bard, uh, and uh, Alias's brother in arms, Dragonbait, who is another uh, Soriel, one of the the dinosaur people. Uh, find them to put the party together again and go after um, Moander, the Dark God, the Darkbringer. Uh, the problem is that Moander already has agents among them, and the party will be split up. Oh, there's also this uh, half—no, this uh, halfling thief named Olive Rustkettle, um, <laughs> and then the, the giant uh, Soriel Grift who appears as well. Uh, everybody figures in, but it is all a plot to defeat Moander—a not very straightforward plot at all—to defeat Moander, the Darkbringer. Um, Many things will be explained. That is all I can tell you about this book. Many, many things will be explained in the middle of conversations could otherwise have been have been uh, expressed as sequences of action that would be yeah. very long. Yeah. I really I really wanted to like this book, actually. I, I'm, can, can I just say something about the book itself? Please, like, yeah. I hate the font. I hate <laughs> the size of the font. Uh, the binding is really standard, and the look of the book is fine. But the, like the si- there's something really wrong with the size of this font and the way it's laid out. And, and I, I don't have the technical knowledge, the technical vocabulary to explain what's wrong with it. My, my suspicion is this might be a book that was laid out uh, via a computer back in the early days when that was possible. And that what, I, what I'm kind of seeing and noticing and can't really put words to are the artifacts of that, just the way the, the words are spaced on the page. And the way everything lines up, it just it just is not very pleasing to look at at all. Did you find that? Um, no, I'm looking at the text right now, and I, I don't have that problem. But um, from what I know about TSR of that era, that does seem entirely likely that they would do a bad job of typesetting. But well, it just um, it just it just feels it just feels very uh, it just feels like a lot of attention wasn't paid to it. I mean, even the the cover I assume was produced when the book was in production and. It's just three characters. There's no action on the cover. There's no great sequence, right? There's nothing happening. Well, there's very little action in this book to even make a cover out of, right? I I feel like whoever made the cover, like, I mean, they made the best thing about this book. I looked him up. His name is Clyde Clyde Caldwell. He's actually noted on the um, title page. And he's he did quite a few uh, fantasy and science fiction uh, painted bits of cover art. And his website is great. It's totally worth exploring. Um, I was I was so hoping there was a print of this cover art. I was going to send you one before we started talking about this. <laughs> but alas, it is not for sale. But Mr. Caldwell, if you if you are out there listening to this, uh, please, please make a print of this available. I will be first in line to buy one. Um, yeah. So I'm going to say this. I've read a few books like this. I, I, I didn't. I didn't like this book. Mm-hmm. This book reads like somebody had a a D and D game going and just recorded it and then threw in every bit of information from past adventures or from the side that you needed to know. The spells are named. The characters have ridiculous names. Like the spells are named what they are in the player's handbook and stuff. Th- there are magical items. There are artifacts. Uh, the magic works exactly like in a D and D book, which I'm not. I'm not saying is. It's it's not it's not terrible when you're playing a game, but it's so weird when you're when you're reading a book where you kind of expect more than that. Um, I don't know. I mean, everybody seems to find very defined by their their race and their class. My favorite thing about this book, I mean, I, I will I will say there's so much exposition, it just gets in the way. Mm-hmm. It gets in the way of enjoying it. All the conversations feel, or not all of them, but I would say ninety percent of them feel super artificial. Yeah. They, they they move the plot forward in this explainy way that 
is not always necessary, so it's very confusing. I think that uh, at some points it does get out of its own way. And there's, it's it's like a third-person omniscient point of view, so you're in everybody's head at different moments, and it kind of switches back and forth. But sometimes there, there are passages where, mostly where the action takes place, or mostly where it's focused on one character trying to do something that's difficult, where I'm like, oh, that's the book that could have been here. That That's like a much more entertaining book. Like from looking at uh, the Wikipedia page for this, it sounds like maybe the first book in the series, which is called uh, The Azure Bonds, uh, and features uh, Alias... And Alias's friends, and a- Alias kind of waking up with no memory and trying to figure out uh, who she is and what's going on. It-, it sounds like that book has better characterization and less exposition, and is kind of a better book to read. So I may check that out at some point because it just might get out of its own way. But this book has so much packed into it, and so many things to everybody's reminding each other of all the time in the middle of conversations, or reminding us of because it just feels so artificial that it's super it's super unpleasant to read. And at some point, you just kind of give up and just try to figure out what's happening. And I mean, yeah. I- I couldn't even go back through it to figure out. I mean, I, I normally go through these books for an hour or two to figure out what happened. I couldn't even go back through this, really. I mean, it's like the party is split up for no good reason. There's all these misunderstandings that don't need to happen, which seem to be the only plot. And then they go to take out uh, Moander the Dark God, who is basically a big compost pile. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, it's like, it's like, this is so strange. And there, there's just, there's just no real tension. It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, the fourth wing and its lack of tension, mm-hmm. but it's very, it, it functions very differently here. Like the lack of tension is because just these misunderstandings are going to be cleared up as soon as people talk to each other. It's not, it's not that big a deal. And then when they talk to each other, they explain everything again. So we get things explained two or three times sometimes. Yeah, that's the thing that I find really weird about this book is that surprisingly little happens in it in terms of like actual events that you can catalog that right. like you'll be reading and it'll be like, okay, uh, Finder and Olive will be arguing about something. And then if you just skip ahead 10 pages, they'll still be in that same conversation and yes. like nothing will have happened. Uh, it's... It's extremely frustrating in that regard. And so the the actual course of events in the book is I would like if you edit it down, which I sort of mentally had to do, it's extremely straightforward. It's just everyone just stands around talking about it and not doing much about it. It's it's really dumb. Well, the, the beginning is the beginning is super strange. It, 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 it kind of worked for a bit, but like uh, Nameless, the bard has been exiled from the realms to like some kind of side plane of existence where he's supposed to live out his near immortality alone, right? Because he he bad, but okay, he did a bad thing. So his name and his songs are stricken from the realm, and he made this artifact called what? What? Oh, it's it's the uh, the Finder Stone, of course. It's the Finder yeah. Stone. Um, and the Finder Stone is this magic rock that stores spells, and it also stores all of Nameless's songs. So he can ask it to play one of his songs, and it actually creates a little hologram of him, and uh, sounds like him playing, and so his songs will outlive him, which is what he wanted to do, and that's also why he got really good at creating simulacra. He was trying to, uh, after he created that, create a simulacra of himself, which he did, um, and then to create a different simulacra to make his songs live forever, which is Alias. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's like the guy basically invented the iPod, right? (laughs) And it's got like spells in it. Well, it's but very it's not, strange. But it's and, not mass-produced. Like, there's only one Finder Stone. Well, there's only one, and like, like if you con- if you hold it and you concentrate on someone, it will it will point a beam of light to them, 
except for alias who has some kind of misdirection spell placed on her right she's supposed to be his daughter she's incredibly childish she's only like five years old or something like she she is has the body of a grown adult woman but she is childlike in her worldliness i just i kept thinking she was pris from blade runner right (laughs) well yeah that's not a bad comparison i mean she is basically a replicant right Right, right. I mean, it's to some extent, but she sings, and there are, like, weird lyrics coming through her songs that seem to be foreboding, like she's somehow seeing what's happening with Moander, the Dark One. It's really ham-fisted. In, like, the second chapter, she's starting a song, and it's like, oh, and then the writers did ride, and and then it just immediately turns into, (laughs) Moander's dark tendrils will devour the world, and everyone will die horribly, and everyone in the tavern goes, what? What's going on? And she's like, uh, I gotta go. Be Right. Which, like, I guess if you, that happened in a D&D game, everyone would be laughing about it, right? That wouldn't... Uh, you can be ham-fisted in that context, but in this novel, it feels like it's just really silly. It's just, it's just it kind would, of dumb. It would, work, it, it would work in a D&D game, I think, right? Yeah. It, it would totally work. And, and like, then the the uh, the mage guy, uh, Akbar Bel Akash, arrives... Mm-hmm. Um, with his with his wife Zara, who is who we can't see her face, um, but jump forward. Yeah, not not great representation. <laughs> she is one of the twelve replicants of Alias. Not just as Alias a replicant, but there are replicants of Alias created by somebody else for some purpose that escapes me at the moment. In another book somewhere mm-hmm. else that is explained to us, but I don't remember the explanation because by this point, the explanations had over over exceeded my capacity to store extra information <laughs> that was not pertinent to the story I was reading. Yeah. So Akbar El Akash arrives. I was trying to I was trying to figure out how we knew Moander was 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 uh, evil and abroad, and <laughs> and going back and looking at the first couple chapters, he tells them, "Oh, hey, I helped defeat him before, and I'm like, I'm yes, he's well, he's back. We have to destroy him." Right, and he knows because he's been having bad dreams about Moander. Like they and everyone finds it's ridiculous because we defeated Moander in the previous book, I guess, and it's like no, but we did we didn't do a very good job apparently. Well, and and that's okay. The Death Star has to be destroyed again. It's fine with me, you know. I I don't like that, but sure. Well, I mean, I mean, it's it's not it's not the worst, right? Like, um, you don't have to spend a bunch of time explaining why this guy is so evil, right? I mean, and we hardly do. But but like, name the nameless bard is on trial. He's trying to get his name back. He's trying to be allowed to sing his songs in the realm again. So he's on trial. All of Ruskettle the thief just sneaks in to see him. Also, I, for for the nerds listening, of which there's at least a couple, really, Elminster is at this trial. I just want I just want everyone to know that the sage yeah, so- of Shadowdale is present, speaking on Finder slash Nameless's behalf. And apparently, he's such big shit that they need a way to get him out of the story because he would just kick <laughs> Moander's ass right. in a heartbeat, and, and the book would be over. So what happens is the Grift, the giant Soriel. Who is appears on the cover with a cool? He's a cool triceratops with arcane glyphs etched into his triceratops uh, face shield or whatever you call that. He teleports in, displacing uh, Elminster for the for the for the rest of the book, mm-hmm. so he doesn't take part in anything. So I was like, <laughs> why is this guy here? I don't even understand. I I was so confused. And then everybody thinks Grift is uh, some kind of denizen of hell, right, from yeah. some lower plane. And they attack him, and it's very it's very odd because Grift seems to have the ability later to cast uh, translation spells. But this yes. is beside the point. Well, but it's because he has to use material components. He has to take out a, a brick of clay and mold it into a shape to be able to cast oh, right. tongues. He he didn't prepare that spell for the day. He has to cast it as a ritual. This is come on. This is standard D and D stuff. 
Well, Elminster has has the power to come back, but has a different adventure that we're told of off. <laughs> like like when he come, when he does come back, we hear about it. We see little bits of it, and so na- the nameless bard runs away with Olive. Grift is kind of there, and the nameless bard. Uh, oh, oh 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 oh! And Olive Rustkettle just hands the nameless bard the Finder's Stone. Just hands it to him. Hey, here, did you lose this? All of this is happening glacially slow in the novel for for our listeners, so that they know. And then and then they go off to find his old laboratory, which is underground, and uh, the passages around it have been taken over by by orcs and a beholder, right? But the beholder is uh, possessed by Moander. <laughs> it turns out it's sure. this very sickly looking beholder. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's all it all kind of ties together in a really smooth and very D and D module esque way, which I don't mean in a bad a bad way, but no. it's like it need, the, the the book needs more than this. Well, you you so yeah, you said it earlier that the book is feels like a D and D game. The problem that I have, like I I have read a lot of D and D novels. I've read so many D and D novels, and there's some I really mm. enjoy them. I genuinely enjoy them. The problem with this, in addition to it just being overwritten and needing to be edited down, is that mm-hmm. it's an adaptation of a not very good D and D adventure. That like is it? The, is that what it is? Well, not a literal adventure, but I mean, oh, okay. But like literally, the game that people were sitting around the table playing, like, didn't make for a very good novel. Is what I'm saying. Yes, yes, I agree. Well, I, I think I think when you're playing D and D, at least at least when 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 I was a teenager, when we were playing. We were like, oh, this would make a great book, right? <laughs> right. And the the problem is is that like you have to kind of massage that that book to have better characters because most people I played D anD D with were not the greatest actors. They didn't have like a lot of internal dialogue going. They voiced right. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it, it was it was fun. I had a really good time playing D anD D. I really like playing D anD D. And this this recalls something for me. I can see why people enjoy reading this and stuff like this because if if they've read enough D anD D, you're probably filling in all the stuff. Yeah, I I think that is a thing that I enjoy about other D and D novels, and and this one, it just uh, it it doesn't have any of the fun stuff for me. I I don't enjoy. I I'll, yeah. I'll start off. I don't enjoy the Forgotten Realms. This and this is not. If you're trying to sell someone on the Forgotten Realms, this would be a terrible book to start with. I don't think any of these characters are actually that interesting. They're very weird. Like having a seven hundred year old bard who has is just uh, any of his motives and none of nothing about him makes sense. Nothing about his history makes sense. He's extremely weird. I, I, I want to say I want to interject. The, the weirdest thing about the whole bard storyline is like he's nameless. He's on trial. They just escape. The big mystery is who is he? And then Olive just goes, "Oh, you're Finder Wivensburn. Uh, this is who you are. I figured this out. Here's your here's your magical artifact that will solve all problems for us." Yeah, I I feel as if that was introduced because that's fairly early in the book. I feel like that was done because the writer was like, "Okay, this nameless stuff is is like we can't sustain this for the whole book. We just wanted to create. We just wanted to set a stage and make a little drama." But then. Half of the characters in the book still keep calling him nameless for the rest of the book, and it's infuriating. Like, well, it's a, it's a book of misunderstandings. Everybody has. I mean, the misunderstandings are consistent until they're until they're explained to each other. Yeah. But then, but we but we sit through the explanation every time. It's like, oh no no, my, I'm not nameless anymore. I'm Finder Wivenspurn. All of Ruskettle told me back in the blah blah blah. We could we could like every every time we have to explain someone that Grift isn't evil and that he's a friend of Dragonbait. It's it, like that explanation happens at least five times. It's like we all the reader knows we can skip past this part. It's not that hard to figure out. Oh my out. god! It's not that hard to figure out that the two giant dinosaur men are friends. Like. 
<laughs> well, but, but Grift is huge compared to Dragon Bait, right? Well, I thought they're, I, I don't know, I assume, because we never get a very good visual description of Dragon Bait, right? Like, he is also a Sorial, and I assume he's right. pretty big, like... Yeah, but 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 dragon, but, sorry, uh, Grift is 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 gigantic. Like, uh, and and uh, I I don't know. I mean, like, I, I can't remember the exact description of Dragon Bait either. Except for Dragon Bait has the blue tattoo that links him to Alias, and so he's Alias's brother. That's that's my whole thing about Dragon sure. Bait, and that he's he's smaller. I think there's some explanation of the types of Soriels because uh, Moander, the Dark God, has has taken over the Soriel village and is making them build him a, a new body. Right, and and the dastardly thing is. Dragonbait's lover, some wizard lady, is uh, doing... Her name is uh, Coral. Coral. Forced to do Morander's bidding, but uh, is conscious and, and is just very, very upset. And so those those parts are like, okay. I mean, you know, it's fine. But Dragonbait is also known as the champion uh, by his people. Why do we know that? I have no idea. Well, because other sorials, I, other sorials are there to tell us. I want to... Here's a, here's a big vent, is that... If the book, the book is called Song of the Sorials. It's got this fucking Triceratops on the cover. <laughs> At least two of the main characters are dinosaur men in a D&D world. Like, this should be good. You should do cool dinosaur stuff. This should be like a journey to the center of the earth adventure where, you know, <coughs> we have to we have to unite the five factions of the dinosaur lords to, to stop the volcano from erupting or something like you could make a really cool story around this, and they do nothing with it. The dinosaur people suck. The, the, they, <laughs> there's nothing dinosaur about them, to be honest, other they're, than... They're just living in huts in a valley, as far as I can tell, right? So I will... The thing that is interesting about them is that they don't, they don't have sp- spoken language because they're big dinosaurs, and they don't have the same vocal cords we do. Uh, oh so my God, to, here we to, go. To, to all the human characters, they do sign language. Uh, thieves can't but that the way they communicate amongst each other is they just emit smells they they communicate via pheromone and so they're constantly like oh the smell of garlic the smell of vanilla this and the smell of freshly baked bread which is it's so dumb it's so dumb. <laughs> well, well, well well wait hold on I, I think they actually communicate mind to mind and the the scents are like the they're like tone markers or something i, I, I think i think they I think they have some kind of communication, and the thieves can't thing is only between Alias and Dragonbait, so it's super right. it's super confusing. Um, but but when they do when they do a uh, translation spell, it feels like Alias is farting the different smells as well. It's it's so weird. Dragonbait does sign to um, Zara. That is a thing that happens. Does, does Zara? Because I, I thought I thought I thought Dragonbait could sign to Olive. Because Olive knows the thieves can't, and Olive's a little well. In in this story, I think most of the characters just know thieves can't. I think is what happened. <laughs> well, so, so I wrote down some of the some of the uh, markers from the from Dragonbait's language. Can I give them to you? Yeah, go this ahead. This is from the first couple chapters. So the scent of honeysuckle is concern. The scent of baked ham means he's worried. <laughs> the scent of brimstone means he's interested, and the scent of baked bread is anger. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really silly. You'll, I think it's funny that all of the smells are beloved human smells and none of them are just like, even just like an indifferent smell, right? You you don't even have a smell that's just like, oh, it's, uh, I don't know, the smell of vinegar, right? You don't, you don't have anything like that. No, it's only the best smells that you could catalog. 
I was waiting for this for the obvious joke for uh, Aeus to go. What does what does the smell of shit mean? And, and Dragonbait would just go, "I just farted." You know, sorry, he's using thieves can't to say, "I just farted." I don't know what the sign is in thieves can't for "I farted," but I'm I can imagine it a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's weird. There's a there's a weird thing where one of the judges in uh, Nameless slash Finders trial early on tries to kill Akbar because she's a she's possessed by Moander. Right. There's and that's where we first see that these weird vines have like basically taken over her body and she's trying to introduce them to to Akbar and um Yeah, this it's is, a little creepy. This is also part of part of my thing is that like you could do so much with this. And and I guess because this isn't the first time they fought Moander, for all I know in the previous books, we we go to Moander's dark layer of of, you know, rot and decay and and there's interesting plant stuff going on but it does feel right like, right right it feels like in this book we like moander could be is completely interchangeable with any evil god that you can think of in any story like the fact that his domains are are decay and plants and it's beside the point yeah it's 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 um yeah i mean it, it, it's it's very strange i don't know what i don't know what moander is gonna do he's gonna destroy the world i don't even think he's gonna destroy the world i think his plot is basically just to be a more important god than he is right now is just is just to reclaim some lost power the the stakes feel pretty pretty insignificant all things considered i mean at the end everybody comes together and they're right where moander is and you know it makes a little sense they haven't gone very far <laughs> It's mm-hmm. not. It's not very That's far true. from where they're sitting, and so they all kind of come together. And uh, except for Elminster, who's still off having his adventure, and um, it's so strange because it's so clear that the uh, the Finder's Stone, the piece of ice, the f- piece of magical ice inside the Finder's Stone, could just end this immediately. And so the only, like, even at the end, the only the only thing that keeps that from happening is Finder is very selfish, and doesn't want his stone destroyed because that would mean his songs are gone from the world when he dies. So so he has to go off and pout for a bit and then come back and save the day, right? Yeah. Which is which is like it's not it's not great, but everything that happens to everybody between then and the end is his fault, right? Mm-hmm. And then he seems to sacrifice himself and I mean other people or die. It's does like he? Well, I, I think we know at the end that he does not. Uh <laughs> which is strange. It's a strange uh salvation of of mm-hmm. this character. I mean, I don't know. It, it's so it's so weird. It's so weird all the way through. Like the river Styx makes an appearance at the end of the book for mm-hmm. no reason I can I can fathom. Um, well, because it exists in the larger D and D cosmology is the is the actual oh, reason. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Which, I mean that's which, a good reason. I don't know if that's a good reason. Uh, like <laughs> it's it it's fine I guess. You th- this is a licensed book for the Forgotten Realms created by Ed Greenwood owned by TSR now owned by Wizards of the Coast so like. I guess it would be weird if you invented a different afterlife place instead of the which and the river sticks is, you know, public domain. So whatever. I mean, I, I guess I guess I can't. I mean, I mean, this book is created for for fans of the Forgotten Realms world. These people are all filling in the blanks. I think I think if you are totally into D and D and just like want to read an adventure you didn't play, this is this is probably it. This is probably really really pleasing to you in a way that I can't understand. Right. I don't I don't know that that's true like well as someone I, because i can speak from experience like as someone who does really enjoy D novels i mean i'm sad that this is the one that we're reading for the podcast because i can think of like 20 better ones that we could have read that i would actually recommend to people and this is well, let's absolute... put it let, let's put one of those let, let's put one of those on the list then well, not a forgotten realms book but something else oh I, sure I will read easily 
Yeah, I really like, uh, I enjoyed the Troy Denning Dark Sun books. I love the Eberron books by Keith Baker, James Wyatt, uh, Don Bassingwaite. There's so many good books, and and this mm-hmm. is such a turd. And I feel bad because I feel like, <laughs> you know, I feel like Kate Novak and Jeff Grubb, they had fun writing it probably. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I mean, I think they must have been giggling, just giggling their asses off with the, the Soriel language stuff. I mean, I mean, it's silly. It's silly in parts, but it's like, it's not, um, well, there's just too much packed. I think it could have been half as long and uh, easily twice as good if it had just embraced some of the some of the the better mm-hmm. parts of the writing like like um there are even uh there are even D novels that are literal adaptations of adventures like the temple of elemental evil has a novel adaptation and it's it's better than i expected it was going to be i i had fun with it i mean i just, I just want to call it i really like the section where akabar fights uh whatever k-y-r-e how do i say your name Kier- Kier- uh, Kier- yeah, Kier, i would say probably Kyrie. i like that yeah. I, I, I like i i like that it, like it, it it works okay like because it's very contained and it's very action oriented and you can see kind of what's happening i like the scene where olive is trying to sneak into the into finder's old lab um mm-hmm. like like by herself she just has an internal dialogue going on that i found very pleasant and she's worried and we get some actual some character in there because we get to see things through her eyes that like that 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 more limited point of view really worked for me. There's a section later on where, um, like, Olive and Finder are being held by the orcs, and the Beholder is kind of confronting them, and they have to fight their way out. Like, that bit of action is fantastic. I mean, you know, it really, it really worked. I just I just remember thinking that, that there's that scene where Finder gets shot with a poison crossbow. It's like, they, it's like the authors f- thought you were going to forget that he was poisoned for that oh, whole yeah. fucking chapter. And so every five seconds, that both of the both Olive and Finder are saying to themselves, "Ugh, that dang poison is slowing me down." Like they just keep repeating it for no reason. Like we know he's poisoned. It's do something about it. He's like a level eighteen D and D character. He should have some stuff for that by now. He should have a spell I mean, I was, or something. I, I was surprised at some point that he didn't just pull out a dice. If I roll a six on this, it's going to be fine. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't know it, it, why I mean, they're even having trouble fighting orcs. The orcs shouldn't be this hard at this point. <laughs> I, 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 I want to say that the part about that for me, like, like, so he gets he gets jabbed by the lock. He, the the trap springs in the lock. Oh right, right. It was a dumb lock. And then he, but then he gets shot by like three or four crossbow bolts later. I think I can't remember when they're escaping. But like, like, so Olive has to go break into. He's kind of dying, and Olive has to break into his lab to try to find a. I can't remember what what is it called in DD Willow a cure poison potion or something, right? Yeah, that's that's basically it. But but that's whatever it's called is exactly what they call it in the book. Right. It's like oh, right. go find. There should be a cure poison potion on this. That's not what you're going to call that. Right. You know? They don't want to call it an antidote or an antivenom. They no <laughs> no no. Yeah, yeah, I mean poison. like and like later on when some of the characters like somebody casts flight on them and they're flying around, it's just like oh, this doesn't really work. That, you know? that is one I mean, of the like, things that really infuriates me is that everyone is referred to by their class at all times. And not not only the, like that is egregious, but in addition, every character in this book is of a class. Like there are no characters who are ambiguous or, or exist outside of this class dichotomy. Like everyone is either a right. wizard, bard, cleric. Right you know ranger and and that's bad writing that like there are D novels that don't do that and like you, no one forced you to do it this way this is silly well, and it breaks immersion 
the part where it really where it really broke for me was when they when they refer to um, I think it's Finder's uh, alignment. <laughs> they actually t- discuss Finder's <laughs> alignment at one point. I was like, oh, oh my, god. my god! You know, it's <laughs> it's very clear he's not good and not bad. That's the thing is, I feel like I would play D anD D with these people and I wouldn't have a good time because they have such a infantile like idea of what the of what the game even is, and beyond that, like their fiction, like their their fiction is worse as a result. I think I'd have a great time playing with them. I, I, you know, I mean, I think I think if I met these folks, it would be like it'd be awesome. <laughs> like, you know, uh, they must have this really deep, deep knowledge of D and D. I think uh, Grub was um, an editor at mm-hmm. TSR. Yeah, or, or um, and, and a creator as well, obviously. But yeah, I don't have a lot more to say on this. <laughs> I just <laughs> wished it wasn't so. I wish it was more character based and uh, more action oriented and less explainy because those are the parts of the book that really sing to me. I, mean, I agree. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I didn't read a lot of D and D books growing up. I read um, the Dragonlance books. Those were the books that came out at, you know, from, mm-hmm. I think from TSR, uh, maybe I'm wrong. But, no, those were TSR. Know, yeah. Were they? I mean, th- those were, those were so, so much better than, than the few. I, and I, I must've read Mar- Margaret Wace and uh, Tracy yeah. Hickman. I must've read uh, all of them that came out for like the first five years. And I probably read some D and D books and some other fantasy, and but those those were like they were great because they were written in this really straightforward way. There were interesting characters you could root for, and then if you didn't want to read them, you know, if you didn't like the character, you didn't have to read that book, and it was just like, oh, okay, this is this is uh, this is going to hold together really well, uh, and it did. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. The, well, and it's funny because I think the the best D and D novels that I read, I read them all mostly in college because um, I could get them for crazy cheap at the used bookstore. The, the thing that I loved about them was that they, w- they would have these really crazy adventures and these crazy characters, and you, you could take inspiration for them if you were running a D&D game, but like most of the time, the plots were so insane that like you, c- you couldn't have it as a D&D adventure because uh, you could never expect your players to ever like adhere to any part of this, this craziness. Um, but I think that enriched it that, like, if you have a great idea for a D&D adventure, that shouldn't be a novel. That should be a D&D adventure. You should just publish it as that. And then you should save the stuff that couldn't be an adventure as a novel, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean yeah, a, a novel has to be more more ambiguous, more internal to me. I mean, I, I welcome the weird experimental fantasy novels that are out there. But, <laughs> but it's like to succeed in a straightforward way. It, yeah. It, like this book, this book I think could really use a, a point of view character, you know, all the way sure. through. It, it, it would avoid all the explaininess because they would figure things out once. I mean, yeah, this book definitely needs like I, I can go through this with a highlighter and just erase whole lines that are just redundant, unimportant. You know, we, we could cut out whole chapters probably. But, but but I think I think they're I think the choices that are made in this book are necessary because of the way the book is structured because it's that omniscient third person point of view we see into everybody's head and people are having these misunderstandings like 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 I think they I think they felt like it's a legit choice it's a very consistent choice as far as I can see there isn't an inconsistency here everybody's being explained to all the time but it's like I'm a reader I don't I don't I don't want to read this stuff over and over again it's yeah. it's uh. It's it's weird to see see this, and I think you know. I mean, you see this in comics too, right? I mean, over and over again, the explainingness, and when comics avoid the explainingness, they're just so much better. They're they're, they're so the edge of of greatness, like the Spider Man story that just lets Spider Man be a character, right? Instead of explaining everything in the middle of the fight over and over and over again, uh, which just results in madness to me. Okay, what, what are we gonna read next? We just talked about this. I'm very excited. 
Yeah, we are going to read a, uh, a Narnia book. We're going to read Prince Caspian. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I've never read an Narnia book. I'm very excited. Yeah, this is going back a couple episodes where I was uh, advocating to Gene that I thought that they were, they're better than people remember. Um, I haven't read any of them in a very long time, but I feel like, I don't know, I feel like it's going to be enjoyable. I feel like I'm going to have a good time reading this one. I haven't read Prince Caspian. I've read a few of them. I've read, you know, obviously The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Magician's Nephew, uh, The Silver Chair. Well, if we, if we get into it, it feels like we're missing some backstory. Let's back out and figure out which book we should read instead. You know what I mean? Sure. I, I don't. I, mean, I don't. I don't want to. Ma- I don't want to make the mistake we made in the High King again, which is just that everybody's <laughs> getting together. It feels like Prince Cap- Caspian. Everybody from the previous books is getting together. That is, it feels like Prince Caspian won't be that. From what little we've read about it. Um, right. I think it's I'm, supposed to take place. It's supposed to be the next one in the series after the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I'm. You're familiar with that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we'll be on the same page. It should be pretty simple. Um, and and uh, then we're going to try to read one of the Dragon Riders books, one of the Pern books. I think at some point. Sure, to uh, redeem ourselves from the the foulness that was the fourth wing. Well, I don't. I, I disagree with the foulness, but but I, I do want to read it just at, for comparison's sake. I want to see how McCaffrey did that. I think McCaffrey has had such a such a long stretch of being in print that uh, I'm excited to to read that again. I think I read one of those books a long, long time ago. Uh, but somebody I'm very close to loves those books. It's her mm-hmm. favorite series. So, yeah, I'm excited about that too. Okay, um, I think I think we're good for today. Hey, uh, have a great long weekend coming up here. Yes, by the time that uh, you all listen to this, it'll probably be 2024, maybe. And uh, we're just about to have Thanksgiving, so gobble gobble. Keep stabbing. Keep stabbing Wait that up. turkey. Carve into it. <laughs> Go, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, because you cut into a turkey, you have to slice it. Don't stab the turkey. Slice the turkey. Book well, Slicer. That's it's... our new. That's our new podcast. Oh, okay. Book Slicer. Sure. Is that where we're nicer to the books, but we but still critical? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we uh, we debone the books. How about that? Book deboner. Book boner. That, there's oh, a book, podcast oh. idea. Book boner. Oh my god. It's, we it's book out. stabber after dark. <laughs> I'm stopping this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you have any uh, books that you think we should read, you should send them to. Too bad. I'm still recording. You should. <laughs> You should send in your recommendations to bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com. I've been Willow Payne. He's been Gene Ambom. Go read Library Comics. See you in the